Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen. My guest today, Dante DeLeon, who is the Global Accounts Senior Solutions Consultant covering AT&T for VMware Corporation. Dante was originally in the healthcare oil and gas verticals, uh, but joined VMware in 2014 to cover AT&T. His role expanded in 2018 to include covering WarnerMedia, AT&T Entertainment Group, and DirecTV. That's where our paths crossed. Born in Detroit, his family moved to Houston, Texas back in 1980, where he spent the majority of his time growing up in Space City until recently relocating to Corpus Christi, Texas in March of 2020. Dante is an avid uh, jogger, runner, and yoga practitioner, and actually has a black belt in Taekwondo. In fact, he won gold in the 1987 Junior Olympics while still in middle school. So without any further ado, let's get into this thing. Our guest today, Dante DeLeon, who is with VMware. We've uh, been working together for a little bit on a couple of different projects, and uh, he was kind enough to agree to give us an hour of his time this morning. So, uh, Dante, thank you very much. Welcome to Fresh Tech Fridays. How are you doing today? Doing well. Always good uh, you know, to be a talking tech on a Friday, so thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so, tell me uh, what you've been up to this week. You do anything fun this week? So this week, uh, from a VMware perspective, is the last week of our fiscal Q4 quarter. So we've been um, uh, pretty slammed trying to wrap things up in addition to the stuff that uh, we're driving in the in the next quarter. So pretty busy week. Gotcha. Yeah, I just actually, now that you mentioned that, this means this time is like triply valuable to you. So thanks a lot for uh, giving it to us. Appreciate it. Uh, you Certainly. live in Corpus Christi, Texas, right? We were just talking about how hot it gets there in the afternoon. Um, how long have you lived there and how did you come to be in Corpus Christi, Texas? Yeah, so essentially I moved down to Corpus permanently last March. So March of 2020, right as the first wave of the pandemic hit. And prior to the pandemic, I was most definitely a, a road warrior where I was traveling to see uh, the various customers uh, week to week. And then so essentially before the close date on March, I essentially had five weeks of constant travel all the way up until the day of close. And so wow. and then as we were getting closer to the close date and as the news of uh, uh, coronavirus and COVID was spreading uh, here in the U.S., um, all my trips, all my preceding trips started to uh, drop off the schedule and essentially five major trips were all canceled. Then the week of the close, that trip uh, to Atlanta canceled. So I was able to, as opposed to showing up to closing 24 hours uh, prior, I was able to come a week prior to, to, to get prepared. So, but moved from Houston to Corpus uh, back in March, um, we were kind of scared that whether or not we'd be able to even find movers to move all the yeah. gear and, and stuff, you know? So, but fortunately we, we were able to move in the nick of time and, and not be uh, too uh, heavily impacted. Yeah. We, uh, we moved our company in June and that was, um, it wasn't impossible, but it was definitely tough to, um, and took a little bit more coordinating than usual. So, uh, so you've been with VMware for, I guess, six, five, six, seven years now. Um, tell me, how'd you get started in tech? Uh, why did you join VMware? What were you doing at the time? Yeah, so prior to joining VMware, I was a sysadmin at one of the large or the largest healthcare provider in Houston, Texas, uh, Memorial Harmon. 
I had been with the company uh, at that hospital for seven years. And for the longest time, I was the sole virtual infrastructure admin. I took them essentially from ESX 2.5 all the way up to 5.5. And um, over the years and working alongside uh, the, the hospital's core VMware team, Halfway through that, they had suggested the idea of me considering joining VMware since I was pretty okay at uh, being an admin of uh, the, the environment. Um, and so after two different uh, you know, attempts to get into VMware, I was able to lock it in on the second try. Gotcha. And then um, you said you cover AT&T now. Was that what you were doing from the beginning? Or um, like, tell me a little bit about your trajectory at VMware from joining until today. Yeah, so I've been fortunate to where when I did join VMware, um, there was an opening on the AT&T core account team uh, to focus in on the AT&T channel. So that's reselling VMware solutions through AT&T in combination with their products and the, and the solutions. Um, and so I started in that role immediately back in 2014. Uh, but um, in 2018, I was able to kind of expand my, uh, my responsibilities. And in addition to the channel, I started becoming or started getting an opportunity to sell to uh, Warner Media. And then um, in 2019, they made it official and said, I'm the primary pre-sales engineer or solutions consultant covering the media and entertainment asp, uh, business units of AT&T, so which is, includes DirecTV as well as all of Warner Media. Yeah, and they're going through some big changes right now, I know. I mean, obviously, they just launched their HBO Max uh, platform, and of course, they're continuing to transform the business since they AT&T owns Warner, they own DirecTV, who owns HBO, who owns Turner. There's a, that's, a, that's a juggernaut of a, of a company. So... So obviously you were covering all that before, you know, recent world events. Tell me a little bit about in terms of, you know, both at VMware internally in your engagement with your customer, uh, you know, sounds like you're really dedicated to spending time with customers. What, uh, what was it like before, you know, then after what happened, you know, what is it like now? Yeah. So that's, that's always an interesting question to, to see how, people have been impacted uh, based off of what's going on around us. And essentially prior to um, the, the first major phase of COVID, you know, kind of the March, uh, April timeframe, uh, I was essentially on the road every week. Um, would go visit either AT&T or Warner Media, and then essentially come back anywhere from Wednesday to Friday, uh, be able to do what I can over the weekend, and then turn back around on Monday and head back out. Um, so when the pandemic hit and when, uh, VMware had issued a travel restriction, very similar, and, and not only that, um, our, you know, our customers issued, uh, a, a, a vendor travel restrictions. And so right. essentially, even if we could travel, we couldn't come see our customers. And so, um, instead of spending a decent amount of time, you know, through the airport and terminals and then rushing to go over to the customer's office. Um, that's now been replaced, obviously, like everyone else, uh, Zoom meetings. But what's interesting is our meeting count and uh, has, in has increased uh, substantially. So um, though I don't miss traveling, I've gotten used to having meetings literally from back to back. You know, it's a pretty big change to go from few meetings wrapped around travel to meetings all time, every time, every day. Yeah, especially because, <clears throat> I mean... Here in LA, one of the ways that, I mean, I had back-to-back -back meetings 
all the time. But one of the ways I could get a little break for myself is to go into the field and see customers. And of course, in Southern California, we call it windshield time. So it was like, if I knew it was going to be a particularly brutal morning, I could schedule a two o'clock meeting for myself in the afternoon somewhere. So at least I had the drive there and back to, to break it up and stuff. Um, yeah. What's it like going, for, I mean, for you personally, going from traveling all the time to not at all? Like, how does that affect your personal life? What do you, what is it like? Do you think you could do it forever? Do you wish you could go back to the way it was? Yeah, because I was, I've been on the road essentially since the fall of 2014 constantly. It's been a, a welcome break from a very, you know, hectic schedule. And, you know, because of the extent of travel and the opportunity to visit more or less the entire U.S. Uh, geography, you know, I'm good with not traveling. My family appreciates me not traveling. So uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good with the way things are. Gotcha. Yeah. And who, I mean, it's anybody's guess when it'll go back to, um, I'm sure you guys have had this discussion internally, even if, you know, VMware decides that it's time to start traveling again, that doesn't mean that your customer is going to be welcoming guests. I know, um, certainly with some of our larger customers like ATT, Disney, et cetera, it looks like, you know, there's the gradual reopening for their staff, but outside vendors are going to be the last people probably allowed to, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be some exceptions to that, but generally speaking, they're going to be people involved in the sales process from outside vendors are probably going to be some of the last people allowed to return. And then, of course, the question is, even if they let us return before that, there might not be anyone there to meet with. So it'll take some time. And yeah, when I figure out a cure for Zoom fatigue, I'll let you know. Um, I have found that <laughs> specifically between the hours of nine and six, at least at DZ, our productivity is up. But it's just I have to remember to give myself 15 minutes between meetings sometimes. There's something about a Zoom meeting that takes something out of you that I can't describe. I think also it's there's no chit chat on the way in. You don't stop to get coffee. You don't walk down the hall. You know, so sometimes I'm sure you've done this, Dante, right? It's like you're in one meeting and then you literally close that one and you just open another one and like roll right into the next yep. one. It's wild. So it sounds like internally your process is basically shifted to all virtual. So speaking of process shifting to all virtual, I imagine uh, being in charge of, you know, the abstraction layer, right? The hypervisor and, and of course all the other products that VMware has, but I mean, that's a big part of what you guys do. You've got to have seen huge shifts in the way that uh, your customers leverage technology. What are you seeing there? Because there's, I feel like there's the response, like the short-term sort of immediate knee-jerk response uh, people had technologically and organizations had. And then uh, I feel like long-term strategy might have changed. But, you know, tell, give us some insight on, on what you're seeing there. Yeah, so one of the most glaring observations and trends that um, not only have, you know, we've seen on the account team, but across VMware is whether or not a company had, had truly a, accounted for um, having a high percentage of their workforce work from remote. A lot of companies had essentially built some sort of um, um, infrastructure to support remote workforce productivity. But as we progressed through uh, the calendar year last year, it became readily apparent that, um, unfortunately for a lot of customers, that those considerations of en enabling productivity remotely uh, were essentially um, either not implemented were kind of thought as a, a future phase and wouldn't be needed. And then all, boom, all of a sudden, the infrastructure, the security, the connectivity, the processes and procedures 
weren't in place now that, you know, what was once five or single digit percentage of employees working from uh, for remotely shifting to a very high percentage. And so that actually presented um, a positive opportunity uh, for VMware, especially around our end user computing of, of, of portfolio. We've always had fairly solid, you know, um, uh, adoption of our EUC platform, but because of last year, um, it was our EUC platform that really helped the company out, as well as helped our customers, uh, the ability to um, offer remote solutions as a service. Uh, so, you know, customer doesn't have to construct it, they can just consume it. Um, and the fact that we've had strategic partnerships with all the major public cloud providers that, uh, you know, those ingredients had been in place for years and then really became useful for uh, for not only VMware as a company, but for our joint customers as well. Oh, that's cool. And uh, when you say end user computing, give for those of us that don't know as much as you, uh, tell us which, that's a huge like portion of your business, right? So Workspace One, for example, is the name of one product, but what are those product suites and what do they do? How do they help your customers? Yeah, sure thing. So the way... Um, we rationalize our our strategy is really providing customers with a with a one cloud to support any app across any device and essentially we align our products based off of uh, major it initiatives uh, empower a digital workspace transform networking and security uh, modern cloud hybrid cloud as well as modern apps and so the any device of any cloud on any app on any device alongside a digital workspace is essentially um, the benefits that includes Workspace ONE. So Workspace mm -hmm. ONE provides you with your uh, digital experience in order to um, either run applications that are out on the cloud, get access to applications that are out in your data center, or if it's a heavy lift app, you could present that app through a virtualized desktop. And so essentially um, what we've done is we've taken a number of what was previous point solutions such as AirWatch for uh, endpoint management, we've combined that with uh, with Hor uh, VMware Horizon, which is virtual desktops, and then we essentially created a, a wrapper called uh, Workspace One Access, which is S a single sign-on across all those disparate uh, locations where apps lives. We offer that as a package, and essentially through that package, we can increase productivity with a true digital digital workspace. That stuff's pretty cool. I saw it. Took a minute to set it up, but it works pretty well. So we actually did a bunch of testing on that at uh, at DZ. So long term, what do you think the future of work looks like for all of us? Do you think we end up going back to the office fifty percent of the time? Do you think your travel ends up coming back fifty percent of the time? What do you think? You know, what is interesting to read about in the press is how companies of all sizes across the verticals are rationalizing, you know, the need for, or, or how to provide productivity, you know, do, do, do customers really need to come back into the office? Are there tools and solutions in place that can provide an effective uh, ecosystem for working essentially anywhere in the world, not necessarily just home? Um, and so I think as we begin to clear, um, you know, these, uh, these, these hurdles uh, uh, centered around the pandemic, I'm not sure if it'll ever be 100% or even close to a high percentage. 50-50 uh, seems reasonable. Um, but the good news is, I mean, 
because cost, uh, companies have had to kind of rethink their strategy on how, um, you know, where uh, their employees must work, I think now there's at least a a, um, a solid discussion on, you know, is this sustainable? Uh, can we still provide the IT services that empower customers to be productive? And so I think, you know, um, you know, solutions that were kind of thought as an afterthought uh, will tend to be a little bit more relevant and then process and procedures built around that. So I think, I think 50, 50 is reasonable in the, in the near term. Yeah. That's my thought is like maybe two or three days a week or something. I also think approaching, we've always approached that. And by we, I mean, most companies, not everyone. I mean, there's companies that have been remote since day one remote only, but generally speaking, American business has approached, like we have an office, that's where work occurs and working remote is an exception to that rule. I'm interested to see, okay, now we've completely flipped things 180, right? So now everybody's all remote all the time. And as we gradually return, it's like, uh, I don't know what a good analogy is, but we're approaching it from a completely different direction. So what do we learn once we start reintegrating ourselves into the workplace? I'm interested to see how, to, how does that change everything? Because I know one of the things that a friend of mine pointed out on a previous uh, previous episode of the podcast, which I hadn't thought about, was I was like, you know, actually, we're doing great. Like, I feel like we're doing great work and our customers are happy. And he, he one thing he pointed out was like, yeah, but what about we just like hired a person or two, which we hadn't done during this whole time. And that is definitely one of the things that's changed is that trying to assimilate human beings into workplace culture remotely it's totally possible, but it just, it takes longer. It's harder to do than if you're all together in person. So um, I think there's some things like that. We probably are, you know, all of us are starting to recognize now and um, we'll just have to see how it all, it all shakes out. Yeah. And you know, that's that, you know, the people and processes uh, consideration will always be there, especially as we uh, clock more time getting used to this new normal. And, and, and another, you know, trend that, you know, is is being spotted in the field is because um, employees are accessing corporate resources from non-traditional endpoints, whether it's BYOD, um, you know, maybe a company has not been able to ship out a, a, you know, some sort of endpoint resource, or maybe they're leveraging some sort of virtualized way to access resources. We've seen uh, malicious actors target, you know, home devices more now that they're aware that, hey, this device is now being used in a work setting and at the workplace, unless, you know, all the, all the holes have been thought of, that'd be a great entry point into areas that contain uh, meaningful data or valuable data. Yeah, you're right. That's interesting. I didn't think about that, but for sure, there's going to, that's a whole new attack surface. Um, all right. So how'd you get into Taekwondo? You said you started, you said you started when you were quite young. Yeah. Yeah. My brother and I started when we were, quite young, uh, you know, we just kind of fell upon a group of, of, of neighborhood friends that were in it. And essentially, we just all got into it together, which then enabled our families to get closer to their families, because we would all on the weekends travel together to the various uh, locations where we would have a, a, a Taekwondo meet. And, and then over, you know, months and years, essentially became a, a large extended family. Um, but it really just kind of happened randomly. I don't even remember anymore what really got us into it, but I remember when we were in it and, you know, we, we, we formed some pretty special bonds with the, uh, with the fellow Taekwondoers that, you know, that we, uh, kind of all grew up together with. That's cool. New word, everyone, Taekwondoer, one who does Taekwondo. <laughs> 
Nice. And then um, I, you mentioned you were a yoga practitioner. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How'd you get into yoga? You know, so I, my cousin, um, a couple years ago, actually it was in 2014 as well, was also an avid practitioner, you know, with the ability to do some of the more complex uh, poses, you know, uh, including handstands, you know, held for a long time. And so, um, and then he always kind of stressed the, uh, the, the mental aspect of it. Um, so I finally, after watching him post these amazing videos of his practice, I finally just said, Hey, let me go with you and let's, uh, let's uh, let me go check it out. And so I've been hooked ever since then. Um, and I prefer the intense, uh, 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 yoga type sessions. Uh, nothing feels better than really leaving 60, 90 minutes. Or I've even done 120 minute sessions where you're just absolutely drenched. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I really feel like you purged quite a bit. It's, it's a great feeling after the, uh, after the practice. How's your, uh, are you doing a handstand or are you shoulder stand? How, how are you doing on that? Both headstand and handstand, but wow. yeah, so it, it is pretty neat to kind of progress towards, uh, into more advanced stages, but, uh, it's really fun getting other people into it and then kind of watching them, um, um, uh, kind of progress themselves. So I, I can definitely see the benefit of, uh, the community aspect of, uh, of practicing yoga. Yeah. Now, our yoga studios are totally not open even in Texas yet, are they? No, they're not. I, I, I hear the one that I used to go to, Big Yoga in uh, Houston, is uh, on the cusp of opening up one particular location with clearly defined distancing guidelines. And, and so I'm kind of scheming on when I'm going to attempt to do that. I'm a little bit hesitant, but what we're, in, uh, we're entering into February. My hope is, you know, between now and say this summer, I'm definitely going to try one of those uh, newer, yeah. new format. Yeah, hopefully, uh, especially once once the vaccine drops for uh, non-high-risk folks, that'll be possible. So I um, I see people teaching yoga, but usually only to one or two people outside here because the weather's good. I mean, the place I used to go, I'd go at night, and the whole point was they'd close all the windows, turn all the lights down, and crank the music up, and then crank the heat up. There's, like, no way... <laughs> it's like a you know be like a covid petri dish there's no way that class is happening until this is all over um for sure just that short description made me miss uh, those evening candlelight sessions yeah. and so yeah i always slept really well after it so i did it try to get there once a week and then i'd always get like the best that would be like my best night of sleep that week um totally get that so hey unrelated to vmware and the work that you're doing if we zoom out and look at just overall uh tech trends so first of all, just GameStop. I'm just going to throw that out there. But um, are there what uh, current trends of technology excite you? You know, one of the one of the topics that's near and dear to um, to VMware and what we're starting to see per, uh, directly from an account perspective is that shift towards uh, containers and microservices um, w- across use cases, whether it be on the telecom mobility side, uh, whether it be um, on basic enterprise apps. And then even from a dog fooding perspective, you know, all of our customers appreciate the ease of use or the ease of deployment from a VMware solution. We give you a virtualized package, you install that in your, um, in your existing environment and boom, you have some new features or functionality. We're shifting from you know, uh, virtual machines into packages of containers. And so 
um, you know, kind of seeing this shift in, in real time and it's upside, whereas customers that were running, you know, say a thousand virtual machines might now, might now have 20,000 microservices is pretty amazing to think about. Um, and then it's inherent ability to, to really stand up, a, you know, some sort of three tier app in a matter of seconds, which, you know, in the past would, you know, usually take days or weeks. And so, um, so uh, Kubernetes and uh, microservices across the board is really interesting to see, um, as well as, you know, the continued march to figure out how much of your environment stays uh, in which cloud is it? Do you build a cloud on premise? Do you consume a cloud uh, in the, in, across any of the public cloud providers, or do you kind of find a knob or lever that works, you know, uh, somewhere in between? And so seeing customers that went either all public cloud or have kept all private cloud, see them kind of shift that percentage uh, between, you know, within the hybrid cloud environment. That's a pretty interesting uh, op uh, observation to see across the board as well. Yeah, I know um, they're very early stage, but there are some startups here in LA that are developing apps to not just report how workloads are used, but potentially shift them dynamically between all the major cloud providers and whatever the on-premise infrastructure is. I mean, I, I know that's a very, very tough problem to solve, but I do think once there are some iterations of that that are like battle tested, if you will, or ready for prime time, that's probably, the, I think that's like super exciting because at that point, you know, customers will be able to use whatever the best tool is for the job. And I, I think there's some efficiencies there. If you think about what VMware originally did, right, or what their hypervisor product, product originally did, it's kind of the same theory, but just like moving it up the stack, right? So instead of what server resources do we have, it's, hey, what cloud resources do we have that are underutilized or not utilized? So I think that could be, be pretty exciting. Um, are you following this GameStop thing or no? Uh, yes, I uh, <laughs> probably for the last week, um, um, even made a, some trades earlier myself oh. just today, um, but then sold my positions because I didn't want to spend every second looking at that. So, yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's not for the, the, the week of heart, man. I, uh, that was, I, I don't, I'm not holding any, and by the way, DC solutions and VMware do not endorse any stocks or give out any investment advice. Let me just make sure I say that, but man, I was like. That was the last thing I looked at, because it's just really fascinating. The last thing I looked at last night was what's happening with that. And the first thing I looked at this morning was I was like, I know there's some restriction of trading on certain platforms. And it was like up again, like 75%. I was like, man, this thing's a roller coaster. It's exciting. Yeah. And other platforms have now implemented uh, margin minimum requirements just because they recognize the volatility in trading. So. Um, yeah, so that uh, that uh, that hype is, is definitely everywhere now. So yeah, I mean the combination of that, and um, I'm also not a cryptocurrency investor, uh, but I have a couple friends that are I'd say pretty deep into it, like medium deep into it, and so I just sort of got a curiosity about it. So I set out last night to attempt to buy some cryptocurrency, like one of the more off-brand ones, and after two and a half hours, I, could, I couldn't even figure out. How to buy it so that's just as a you know as a tech guy that's something that's interesting to me because it, it seems like it goes pretty deep um yeah and uh obviously you know nobody can ignore how far up bitcoin has gone but then there's i didn't realize there was so many other alternative i guess cryptocurrencies under that what are you uh what do you got going on this weekend are you doing anything fun 
Um, nope. Um, I just have a, um, a stack of materials that have been dropped off by FedEx and UPS uh, waiting in my foyer. And I'm going to haul that all to the backyard and spend some time in the backyard and knock some uh, some sections out um, doing some remodeling. So. Okay. So remodeling like landscaping or are you like building a planter box or what are you doing out there? A combination of uh, various uh, vegetable gardens, um, doing a new um, crushed granite and uh, tiled section walkway in the backyard, uh, planting new grass. And then um, the house that I'm in is an older house, was built in 83, didn't have, didn't have um, any um, gutters. And so over the years, the uh, water runoff it had caused some major erosion. So I, uh, I bought a, a whole pile of a sandy loam that was dumped in my um, in my driveway that I need a wheelbarrow out to those lower parts and try to raise it three inches. So that's the not fun part, but you know that's the part <laughs> that needs to get done and will get done. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you got. Your, there's no way you're getting all that done this weekend, right? This is like a multi weekend project. You know, I'm gonna sure. I'm gonna really try to knock everything out by Sunday. Jeez, but man. yeah, if it, if it uh, you know goes over to the next weekend, uh, since I love being you out gotta there, slow down, man. You're making the rest of us look bad. That's like <laughs> that's like just the like erosion uh, remediation would be. I'm sure a whole weekend for me. So, see, that's what happens when you can't go to yoga. Next thing you know, you're bringing wheelbarrows of uh, stuff out in your backyard to try to raise it three inches. That's exactly. Cool. Well, again, thanks a lot. We really appreciate your insight. Really appreciate you doing this. You know, we've I've always enjoyed uh, working with you. And we look forward to doing some more in the future. So with that, you know, thanks a lot, Dante. Really appreciate it. And for everybody else on the line, thank you for joining us for Fresh Tech Friday. We will see you next time. Everyone stay safe. Take care. Thanks again for joining this week's episode of Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen. I want to thank Jason Johnson for composing our theme music, RSPE, and especially Russ for help with some engineering and equipment, Dell Technologies for helping sponsor some episodes of the podcast, Kayla Robeson, DZ Solutions Marketing Director for helping make this all possible, and last but not least, our fearless audio engineer, Jeff Rockland, engineering from afar. If you want to learn more about Jeff and his projects, I encourage you to check out his Relief Valve podcast that you can find wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks again, and see you next time.